Hey, welcome to the Clapped Out Moto Hour. My name is Robert, and we have Chris. What up? Danny. Hey. And Jordan. Hey. And today we're talking all about toolkits. We're going to be talking about what's in your toolkit, what do you take on trips around town, out on the trail, what's in the garage, and some budget tips and tricks for getting started building up your tools in your garage. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk about what people have on the bench for this week and if there's any changes. Chris. Um, same old, same old. Two for two. Still too round to work on new projects. <laughs> Those poor neglected bikes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I just in like, I went snow, into the garage and the I garage. just stroked my my little babies. I'm like, oh, you poor DT. <laughs> You that poor little sad. Honda, I miss you. <laughs> you just put some snow tires on that DT. Yeah. And do what? <laughs> and, and then, and Attach then the baby bassinet to the oh, back well, of it. And just it like still can't ride that. Zip tie the <laughs> zip tie the, the throttle and just be like, see you later. I mean, Chris, you've got what? Your third trimester. Congratulations. Yeah, I got, got, I got 12 weeks left. Yeah. 12 weeks Hold left. So you'll be popping wheelies in 13, 12 and a half, 13 <laughs> <laughs> You need a mini bike and a sidecar. You'll be fine. Yeah. yeah yes. It'll be fine. It'll uh, be fine. <laughs> Jordan, uh, what are you working on this week? Oh boy. Still working on my woods project. So I've got my 94. If you've been following along since these last three few episodes. I've got my 94 uh, Yamaha WR250. That's the YZ250 with the wide transmission, 18-inch rear. This is my Project Woods bike. And uh, I've got it down completely now. I took it completely apart um, last weekend, towards the end of the weekend, and put everything in a bin. And then basically this weekend, I've been pulling everything out of the bin, uh, disassembling all the swing arm linkage, all of the, um, like, the shock came out. All the joints have been completely cleaned out. Um, the engine went on the bench, took the engine apart, found that the oh, I'm, what I'm assuming the crank seal is bad because I actually drained a lot less oil than what was in there the last oil change. So that would explain why it's smoking a bunch extra, really hard to start. And just basically with a manual in hand, just kind of going through everything, measuring as much stuff as I can. Uh, checking everything in the bottom end looks really good, except for the previous owner totally welded the shift shaft on. So now I can't, uh, I, I could grind it down and split the cases if, if I needed to, but the transmission feels really solid uh, from riding it around. So I'm hoping, uh, I'm just gonna leave it alone for now because I really don't want to grind it and find out why he welded it, you know? So ooh, yeah. I think it's missing, what you might find. I think it's missing a little holder piece from the case, I think actually broke off probably during reassembly. And so I think he welded it in place so that it's uh, like in the proper position. Yeah, like exactly. To keep the shifter pull from like backing off. Exactly. I think that's what's happening. So anyways, that was the big like, ooh, there was a couple of marks from um, less, from you know, <laughs> let's see. I'm trying to figure out how to say this in a polite way. He kind of took it away or took it apart. Uh, very stupidly the first time. So there's a couple little Say ham-fistedly. Little ham-fisted, yeah. Uh, not too bad, though. Not, not Nothing too outside the realm. I'm not exactly, like, the perfect mechanic myself. So, uh, you know, I, I may have added a couple, too. But it's it's not so bad. There's no surfaces that are really bad. Um, but, yeah, everything else looks really solid. It's got a new set of gaskets. The cylinder saw is cross-hatching on it. The piston still looks really, really good. So it's going to get a gasket set. It's going to get... Um, uh, the crank seal 
The reeds are also pretty worn out, so it's gonna get new reeds. Uh, get that new carb dialed in, and and then it should be ready for reassembly and go. I'll, I'll service the suspension as well, uh, at least refill with oil. And I gotta figure out who's gonna recharge that rear shock because I don't have a nitrogen setup. But yeah, it, once that gets back together, then it's pretty much then on to the next one. It's winter maintenance mode right now. There's still snow on the ground, so everything's kind of getting a good go through. I think the my big WR the 450 is gonna be next and needs a chain and just another valve check and inspection. So I'm kind of working my way through the lines. Nice. My yeah, ratio like right now, uh, we're looking at, uh, well, I mean, WR is down now, so it's not running. I've got the WRF is going fine. The DT, it's been about a week and a half, two weeks since I started it, but I'm sure that thing is just totally bulletproof. So it should fire right back up. And although I guess that's Chris's bike. Yeah, so you keep count. trying to claim <laughs> Dang it, I keep trying to. <laughs> I'm trying to claim that to up my ratios, but yeah, I still need to get to the ZRX and the that Honda CB has been at the shop forever. So I think I'm like one to five or six or I don't even know Oof. at this point. So not great. <laughs> Respectable. Not great. No, the problem with having so many bikes is then you have to work on them. Truly. Danny, you also had a busy week working on stuff. What's I on did. your bench? Um, so the Derby engine is off of the bench and on the ground of the garage, not back on the bike yet. <laughs> Thought about it, but ultimately decided to spend some time working on the, the 66 Honda Super Cub that I picked up last weekend. Um, overall, looks really good, like, except for the wiring. That is just a damn nightmare. The yeah, Danny, so, so for those out there, Danny was sending all of us messages in the group chat all week <laughs> uh, trying to discern this just rat's nest of all one color, all green wires. Oh, God. I, it looks yeah. terrible. The previous owner decided to halfway complete the transition or the transformation of doing from a 6-volt setup to a 12-volt setup, and he just didn't finish and used all green wire, so it's just oh, God. horribly confusing. And if you've ever taken a look at any old Honda wiring, it's already a clusterfuck, but yep. at least the colors match up. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're we're rocking lots of green wire. I found an orange wire last night that I don't know where it came from. The plot thickens. Yeah. Uh, I was I was cleaning up and apparently purchase. when I was trying to put it back to stock wiring, I disconnected an orange wire that was one of those caps that like you can combine multiple wires. There was an orange wire, a blue wire, and a black wire. Don't know where it came from, but mm. <laughs> it's there well, now. He ran, he, ran out of, he ran out of green. What's the plan for that? You're planning on taking it back to the original wiring? Yeah, going back to 6-volt, um, I ordered a new rectifier to swap that back, ordered new battery. They came without battery acid because I didn't read the description. Um, so I got to go get some acid, charge it up, and then we'll be good. And then hopefully get it wired. If I can't get it wired, I got a nice uh, shop recommendation here in town, Contiki Motorcycles down in Pacific Beach. Nice. Um, I've heard them mentioned for years and then finally looked them up and it seems like they pretty much just specialize, specialize in the old, the two-stroke, or the weird. So it seems like the perfect <laughs> place to take this bike. Hell yeah. Uh, ratio, what? ratio has not changed. It's still probably 60% not running, 40% running. There but, you go. 
You That's know, pretty good. It's, it's better than some of the people here tonight. Yeah, right. <laughs> your your 60% is better than 50% of the people here, put it that way. Uh, That's which is a great transition right into what I was working on this weekend, uh, which aside from uh, baking up some husky cases, that is removing a seize bearing um, and some other uh, just main bearings uh, out of a, the husky 400 cross I have, uh, most of the work this weekend was on uh, my Triumph, um, so I was really, um, I was really trying to cheapskate it and see if I could get the engine put back together in the bike running without splitting the cases, which I know mm. is the correct thing to do on a bike that was sitting in a garage for 50 years. Yeah, um, but sometimes you just want to see the thing run first yeah. and then kind of address what's wrong with it and take it apart. So I was really trying to see if I could get the engine running, um, and had run into something where, my garage ran out of my the power went out to my garage no one knows where the breaker is including the landlord it is a mystery to all of us we can't figure out how to reset the break i have no one knows it's not it's not at like the main junction box for the building there's no um there's no sub panel for the garage there's wiring that goes underground and goes somewhere but none of us know where the breaker lives um So we have four apartments and one of them, the person isn't here. So it's possible. And and her, without getting too deep in the weeds with it, her apartment is a straight line from where the conduit goes underground. And so we suspect she may have the breaker on her mm. apartment sub panel, okay. but she's not here. So we don't know. Oh, so, so that was so basically this started because I needed to, to build a wiring harness off uh, my stator wiring. Power was out, so I was going to pull the engine to bring it into my apartment to use my power there. In doing so, I finally did another thing I was putting off, which was draining the crankcase oil. Uh, Pulled the crankcase um, oil plug, and lo and behold, it was like two inches of sludge. Um, It was just sludge city. Um, This bike probably had straight 20 weight sitting in there for 50 years. I was going to say, it was that... It's probably just from it sitting, right? The sludge. Yeah. Or you think it was from like something else, like build up for a long time. Probably. Bold. I think it. I think it's just from sitting. I think it. Um. So I know that some water got into the case at some point, at least in the transmission case. The gears are all fine because they were still covered in film. But I know when I opened it up, there was some water that dumped out. I don't know how long it's been in there. Any um, uh, any metal shavings though? No, no, That's no metal good. shavings. They got. Very I think good. it was just contaminated oil and then just sitting for a long time. And who knows. Uh, I know that the bike was rebuilt in 72 or 73 before it was parked, but I don't know how long the uh, previous owner rode it before parking. So again, I know that technically the right thing to do is split the cases (laughs) and take everything apart. And I was just really hoping I could get away with that. I was really hoping I'd drain the oil in the, so for those who don't know on these old, um, even unit triumphs, you still, uh, on the earlier years, you still have three separate oil volumes. So your crankcase is separate from your primary case is separate from your transmission so um i'd seen the oil in the transmission it wasn't great but you can pull the transmission from the side without splitting the cases uh trans the oil in the primary was actually pretty good and so i was really hoping that the crankcase would have clean oil i could just dump it put something clean run it through dump it put good oil in but that is not the case so i will be splitting the cases um so a long way of saying that basically what i did this weekend was pull the whole top end um found some some cool mysteries um turns out the pistons are for um 40 thousandths over uh Mm. it's a later model head 
uh, so it doesn't have the squish band of the earlier heads for those people who care about triumph heads. I was going to say, what what year what year model is this again? So it's a 64. It's a 64 T100 SC, um, which is like the the competition sort of dirt dirt oriented scramblery model hmm. of the 500 cc Triumph Twin. Oh, those um, are real cute. I like those. Ones. They are. It is. Yeah, it will be real cute someday when it <laughs> runs. Um, so yeah, so it's a 64. It looks like the head is off a later, like 68 or later. They switched the the head the combustion chamber uh, and the pistons. So it has like later model pistons, which is fine. Um, it looks like some work's been done to the porting. So I'm excited to get it all together, but it's going to be a much longer journey than I had hoped, but at least I'll be doing it yeah. the right way. So yep. something to be said for that. That's what I worked on this weekend. Uh, ratio is still zero to three, uh, <laughs> but you know, you'll we'll get, get there. there. Kind of That's like okay. shifting focus now. I think, I think the, tr the triumph, I was kind of trying to fast track it and get it at least running to then assess how everything was feeling and looking. Um, now that that's going to be a longer project because I am going to basically split the cases, clean everything out, rebuild it correctly. Yeah. I might, I'll probably do it right and swap the bearings, put new rings or um, yeah, new rings, keep the pistons. Everything looked good. Um, so I think I might shift my short term goal to the Husky or the Honda. The Honda, if I had put any time into it, would be running by now. But yeah, wait, that's the you one, know, that's the one that you've had running previously, right? The one that had that chop frame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's a CL, it's a CL350 motor and a CB350 frame. Uh, it's all together. It's very close to running. I've just been um, tempted by by more exotic <laughs> bikes. Uh, oh, the Husky, I, especially. You know, somebody puts a somebody plops a '71 uh, Husky in your garage, and you're just like, "Well, I should probably get that running instead. I should probably spend two months <laughs> getting this running instead we of like." You we need to find day. you a running bike. At Someday some I'll get a running bike. It almost happened this week and it <laughs> fell through, but we're, we're not giving up on it. Someday I will have a running bike and that will be fine. With that said, let's move on to today's episode. We're talking about tools, toolkits, budget tools, tools for the road. Uh, and so one of the things, first question I think we want to talk about is what are you bringing on the trail or short trips around town? That could be the same answer. It could be different answers. Uh, and we're going to kick it off and go to Jordan. Yeah. So this is definitely um, a very subjective question. I think, you know, when we were talking about this a little bit earlier, it's like, I think everyone's going to kind of have a different perspective. So I guess I'll answer mine from kind of the dual sport trail, because I, I carry very similar kits for dual sporting or for trail work. Um, and that is kind of the angle I'll go from. I know that when I had a street bike and I was running more street bike stuff, it was a little different, like, you know, especially for like flats and things like that. But generally speaking, my kit, if I'm going out for just like a short ride or something like that, my kit's going to be a 8, 10, 12, 14 and 17 socket. I have a couple odds and ends on both my Yamahas that are 17s. Sometimes I wouldn't bring that. Uh, but there are just a couple little odds and ends. I feel like it's worth throwing that 17 in. I keep a, um, because I've had so many bikes and I've accumulated a lot of the Japanese bike toolkits. So now I have a bunch of those uh, open end wrenches, which are really cool. I don't know if you guys maybe have seen them. They're like, they have a wrench on one side socket and then they're just like a little stubby handle. Oh, and yeah. I have like a bunch of sizes of those. So uh, if I'm taking the WR450 out, I'm going to take a 19, one of those little wrenches, and then also a 20, I have a 27 for the rear axle that I take. And they're really small. They're super cool. I, I think they're really cool. 
Uh, then I got tire levers, so spoons. Um, I keep spoons with me. I usually keep two spoons for a trail kit. Um, really, you know, something you got to have if you're going to change a flat. And then zip ties and safety wire, super important part of the kit. Just a little spool of safety wire and just a couple of medium sized zip ties usually do it. Um, I keep a combo, again, from collecting those motorcycle toolkits. I keep kind of, I have a combo JIS Phillips flathead that came on my SV650, I think. And it's like the perfect size. So it's an actual Phillips, you know, JIS Phillips head. Um, so it doesn't like strip out bolts and things like that when I use it. Um, I keep a ball end hex kit. It's one of my fancier like things I take with me instead of just taking a standard combination hex. I've worked with those on the trail a ton of times when I break something and I just hate using the like handle. It's convenient because they fold in um, like that, the Allen keys that fold in. But I, I have like a completely separate ball end set that I take with me. They're the longer kind. Uh, and then I take an eight and a 10 ratcheting wrench. So I always have like the ratcheting wrenches or or at least just a crescent eight and 10. I find that there's a lot of bolts where I need a 10, like two tens or something like that for a front and backside to work out a piece of something. I always take JB Weld with me. Um, and then I've also got a liter of oil and I take a 21 inch tube. So all of my dirt bikes and my dual sport is a 21 front and 18 rear, but you can run a 21 inch front in the rear, uh, I've tested this and it does work. You can run a 21 inch in that rear wheel and it'll it'll inflate, it'll hold enough pressure. I wouldn't run it a really long time, but it'll get you back to camp or back to wherever you're going for the day. It's totally fine. Um, real real quick, if somebody if somebody's bike had a 19 front and an 18 rear, the same thing would be true, right? You'd just bring a 19. I haven't tried that, but I assume so. The DT has a 19 front and I haven't tried to put a 19 in the rear. You would think though, when you, the one time I've done it, um, I put the 21 in the rear and it didn't look like it was really floppy. I was like, I don't know, but it definitely held enough pressure. It held, you know, I put like whatever, I usually run 15 pounds, um, maybe up to 18 for the road. And then on the trails, I'll load down to 10 to 12, depending on the conditions. So it'll, it'll hold enough to get you back for sure. Yeah. Um, and my bikes have rim locks, so that, that definitely helps as well. Um, yeah, and I keep a liter of oil for that JB Weld. I've, I'm always one of the first dual sports I had, my XR. I dumped it, and when I dumped it, it, uh, it dumped oil everywhere, and I was like, you know what, I, I never want to be in this position again. So I always keep JB Weld, and I always keep a liter of oil. The WRF holds like 1.2 liters. And then in my toolkit, I've got my DeLorme, my InReach, and then uh, just my little satellite responder. And I've always got a cliff bar. Just always throw a cliff bar in there. It'll it'll make the difference on a really shitty trail side repair. <laughs> it really well, that, makes a difference. So that begs the question, what flavor cliff bar? Peanut butter. Always peanut butter. Oh, interesting. Always peanut butter. I don't really mess with the other cliff bars. I like I like peanut butter, but I, I don't mean, there's none of the other ones I'm like I don't like this. It's not chocolate good. mint. It's all about the chocolate Ooh, mint. That okay. one's good. The chocolate chip. It's got a little icing. It's got caffeine. It's got everything you need. Not a fan. So, so that's my <laughs> that's my day kit. Oh, and a flashlight. I have a little pen light that I use. It it works. It's okay. I, yeah, something I, to. Yeah, if I have a if I'm on a longer trip, I have another list for that. But you know, it, it just some kind of flashlight really makes a difference when it's dark. <laughs> Danny, what about you? Um, what do you so, what are you bringing with you? So mine's pretty much the same. I, we could be talking tra- like trail. Um, which I did quotes because mopeds typically would not go on trails, um, <laughs> short trip around town or a longer trip. Um, I'm packing sockets, a 10, 11, a 17, 
usually a wrench to pair with that 17 because that's usually what the tire bolts are. Um, usually bring a multi-tool or if not, at least a pair of needle nose pliers because um, that'll always come in handy. A pack of zip ties, uh, an M5 Allen wrench, a probably at least enough for a gallon, so like three ounces of two-stroke oil in various containers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you go to, I mean, like... It's a Gatorade bottle. Yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> Whatever works. Usually I, I get, I'll go to like AutoZone or, or Walmart or something, get one of those like little three ounce Lucas containers. And then I'll yeah. just, comp I'll just reuse that over and over. Cause it's the perfect size for a gallon. Totally. Um, or if not, like if you're putting a half gallon in your, your tank, you can just, you know, pour a little bit in and then shake your bike. And then that usually does the trick. Yeah. It's good to go. Um, depending on where we're going riding, like sometimes we'll, we'll load the bikes up and go on a ride out in the mountains or something on the mountain roads or up to LA or something. Uh, I'll bring a few jets that'll kind of offset the, the main if I'm going leaner or richer, depending on what elevation we're at. A rag of some kind, because for some reason, no matter how much you clean your moped, it will be covered in oil the next time you ride it. There's just a perpetual leak when there shouldn't be. And, um, Usually at least one bulb for a headlight or taillight because a lot of these mopeds don't run or don't have rectifiers in their wiring. Mm -hmm. So they will blow bulbs nice. pretty quickly, especially mm -hmm. if you're, you've got a, a bigger cylinder kit on yours. And instead of running like the like 7,000 or 8,000 RPMs that mopeds run at, like you're pushing 10,000 and you can just blow bulbs like nobody's business. Dang. But yeah. It, it... What's up? Oh, I was going to say, does that also include a snack for while you're waiting broken down on the side of the road? <laughs> oh, it doesn't, but it really should. Some, <laughs> sometimes I'll have. remember to toss like a Nature Valley bar or a, or a Cliff bar in there, but more often than not, I do not, which is mm. to my detriment because, I mean, you never know. With a moped, you can make it all, like if you're going on a longer ride or like a weekend rally, like all 100-something miles and you could have no issues. Or you could get to the first gas station and break down. So but at now, least if you know, I'm at I, a gas station, there's snacks. I hear good things about the peanut butter cliff bars. You know, I've heard so that good. somewhere. The best. I've also heard good <laughs> things about the chocolate mint ones. That is, oh, and I would like bar. to throw the chocolate. I think it's a chocolate chip banana one or chocolate banana one. Something, okay. something, in, something with those two words in the name. Hmm. I've had those and they are really good. And I'm not usually one for, for banana things, but they were quite tasty. You know, when I ride uh, twin shock bikes, I like to go old school and get a Tiger's Milk bar. Ooh. There you go. Also a good choice. Solid Something option. Think about. Chris, what are you taking around oh. on the town, on the trail? What things have you found useful? Okay, well, let's see. Before I had hand guards, I would bring an extra lever. <laughs> yep. Because yep. when you drop it, they break. And they, they sure usually do. snap off in the worst possible position where you can't just like one finger it and you're just like well here we are replacing. And, and if you haven't done it nothing nothing is worse than kicking your bike through gears because you can't shift it or you <laughs> exactly. can't let the clutch in i've <laughs> seen it happen exactly. <laughs> i've done it yeah it's the worst um and then i also have it just depends on also the bike that you're riding so you kind of switch your toolkit based on the bike that you're riding um if i'm riding the dt i've got 
a couple wrenches Jordan threw at me for changing tires of various sizes, usually like a 15 or an 18. Um, same with like the Honda, either a 15 or an 18. Um, Allen wrenches, usually of the Harbor Freight on the the key ring type. <laughs> oh, yeah, the little, yeah, that fit into the little yeah. spring. Yeah, yeah, and they got yeah. the little springs on them. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I got a little set of those. Put the um, at the bottom of your bag. Yeah. Yep, perfect. For perfect for that. Um, I also have some tire changing spoons, um, some tubes, because we've been running the same stupid tires on the DT and. <laughs> You never know. Oh, yeah. That we, thing gets flats. Like yeah, we've business. had the... They had... <laughs> those tires are toast. Um, I so know. you can't just, like, go and not think about tubes when you're riding the DT on the trail. Yeah. Um, yeah, sadly. Um, other things that I bring on the trail is more than just a cliff bar because I am a snack queen. Gotta have um, it. I've got to have, like, a cliff bar, but I prefer... White chocolate macadamia nut Ooh, because that, I'm that's bougie. a solid yeah. cliff bar. It is a very good cliff bar. That is a good, it's a solid bar. one. I think yes. it, I think if there's one thing we can all agree on, it's on the white chocolate macadamia. Heck cliff bar. yeah, yes. nothing but decadence Definitely. on the trail. Am I right? <laughs> yep. Um, and then what else do I like? I like cheese and beef jerky, which is yep. good. Good. A full bladder of water because mm-hmm. don't be dry on the trail. <laughs> you will definitely regret it and just be angry and just cotton mouthy and it's horrible. Chris Bring is the, the one person who has mentioned water. All of the rest of us yeah. completely <laughs> forgot. Well, yeah. If anybody listened to last week's episode, you'll know that Jordan yeah. and I historically. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I should mention that I keep most of my tools, most of my tools these days in a Camelback backpack yeah. that has yeah. a, bladder on it but yeah As a, water. yeah i will second for longer rides having a camelback or something yeah. something so like that that keeps nice. it on your back is a game changer it's very nice additional things that i do have is a first aid kit um also um yeah so and Look plus i'm practical response <laughs> i i'm just oh I'm, yeah I'm, once you work Chris, that's the if you yeah, work in public services you always have a first aid kit on you it's like the first thing you think of do we have water do we have first aid yeah do we have snacks um yeah and then also i'm usually riding with jordan so if there's something very specific that is needed he's got the jb weld and the oil and the other weird zip ties and rubber bands and I don't know, whatever was found and thrown into the bag from the bottom of the truck. (laughs) (laughs) Just to make sure that we have everything we need. Um, Yeah. It's not, it is nice to be able to ride with people. I would say I'm almost at a 50, 50 split of riding with people and then riding solo, both on trips and day trips. And yeah, it's it's really nice when you can split. I think everyone this is kind of another discussion, but for like trail riding, I think everyone should have the basics so that if you get separated from the group, like you have tire spoons, mm-hmm. you have a tube, mm-hmm. you have wrenches. But it's nice to be able to say, Oh yeah, I got some JB Weld or oh yeah, I got some like extra water for coolant or I've got oil with me. Cause those are the things that are gonna be pretty rare that you would get more than one like case puncture or something. Totally. But it's it's nice when you can spread that kit out just a little bit on trips, especially. So you're not carrying it for days and days on end. Yeah. Oh, and I also forgot a little liter 
bottle of of gas because yeah there it is yeah because um the dt only has like maybe like a little bit over a gallon um and it's just the distance on it is not when you're just kind of goosing it up a hill it's great but it runs out of gas a lot faster and also i've definitely run out of gas on the trail um in the honda which is surprising, but when you're having yeah. a lot of fun, you just don't pay attention. And then, oh, there you got to hit the reserve. There it goes. Oh, I, your reserve is out. <laughs> I, I thought I ran out of gas riding your Honda, but it turns out you just turned the petcock off and didn't tell me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Keep you on your toes. Like that. Yep. Took me a good ten minutes out in the woods to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you got to have like you got to cycle it, like you got to kick it, you got to like oh, do God. the little lever thing, you got to play with the pickcock, and then yeah, you just, I know. Yeah. Finally got like, it, and then I came back and I'm like, where were you at? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so yeah, one of the th- that's it. Yeah, I was gonna say one of the things you touched on there, I think, is thinking about the bike you're riding specifically, and I think that's a good transition into kind of the next phase of this question, which is. What, what would you carry differently from maybe a day-to-day or a, or a day trip for a longer trip? What would change in your pack going on a longer trip? And then the caveat to, or the, the follow-up to that I would ask is, what advice would you give to somebody who's taking their first long trip on a motorcycle? Mm. That's a good and one. I'll kick this off. Um, Jordan, take it away. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. So I've done long trips and I've done long, long trips. And, um, for like a thousand mile trip, like if I'm just doing like what I would consider a multi-day, so like mm, five, six days on the bike and you're going to have limited supplies along the way, I'll definitely add that second tube. So instead of just having the 21, then I'll also pack an 18. I know a lot of people still don't do that or really like patches or they're rich and they run tubeless. And I wish, I wish I could run the moose. I wish that's the uh, tubeless B L I S S the cool little dual stage system. I am heavily considering that after many, um, flat repairs, but that's neither here nor there. So I, I bring, I run tubes and, and rim locks. So I bring an extra 18. So I've got that 21 on my normal day kit. I add the 18. I also had patches. I really hate using patches. I remember Robert, we, I use patch on, I used the patch on one of our trips and it had a slow leak after that. I just never really trust them, but mm-hmm. I still throw them in because it's like in the event that I slice like all four tubes that I have, you know, the ones that are on the bike and the spares, it's, you just want to have something. Yeah. So that comes with like a rubber glue and the patches and things like that. I bring extra goggles and gloves. I toss those in. I've just started doing uh, goggles, but I've always tried to bring extra gloves in my toolkit. It's just such a nice thing. If you encounter rain to be able to swap out your, your mm. gloves, such a huge difference. Um, and I put those in my, in my tool roll, I will bring extra levers. Uh, my dual sport, if I'm talking about dual sport, that's what I would usually take on a longer trip. I, I have a recluse, so if I break my clutch lever, it actually doesn't matter too much. I can still run the bike pretty much as normal because it has an auto clutch. Um, but I'll always bring, yeah, I'll probably bring a front, an extra front brake. Maybe I'll just bring an extra clutch too. Um, I have both of those that are kind of bound up. Um, for And then a spark plug. Uh, for a four-stroke like that, you could clean up a spark plug on the side of the road if it had fouled for some reason, and it would be fine. On the two-stroke, that would go in my everyday kit is, a, is definitely at least one spark plug. Um, and then I forgot to mention for my day kit, I've also got this sweet little hand pump that comes with a gauge. It's like a little standalone gauge and a hand pump, bicycle hand pump, but it's super short. 
And it's it's kind of hilarious watching me pump the tube up while I'm doing it. But it's my personal favorite of like, I don't like the CO2 inflators because I don't want to have to worry about running out of those cartridges. Um, and the hand pump, it works. It takes a lot of pumps. Like I said, it's kind of funny watching me do it, but <laughs> it gets it gets the job done. So, you know, and then on a really, really long trip, I did two years ago, I did 10,375 miles from Portland basically the Yucatan and did a couple loops in Mexico and then back. I brought a clutch cable I brought an extra throttle cable. And then I brought, um, I think that was actually it. I think it's pretty much the clutch and the cable. Um, uh, the clutch and the throttle cable are the only things, everything else like bearings, those kind of things I want to check beforehand, but those are also pretty standard. I know some people bring those, but I just, they're pretty standard sizes. So you could find them most anywhere. And yeah, that's that's pretty much for my long. I've already got the Delorme. That's definitely coming on me on the multi-day. And that's already in my toolkit. So it really doesn't change too much. I try to go as light as possible. I really don't like carrying tons and tons of crap when I go on even long trips. And it's just not what I like to do is have a bunch of stuff on me. Right. And I think part of that, too, is also knowing your bike and knowing sort of failure points on your bike. Uh, and that... Okay. Oh, that would be really quick to answer your second question. Yeah, if you're yeah. planning on going on a long trip, take some stuff apart. Uh, hands down, I had a guy who there um, contacted me about a month ago, and he's doing his first trip, uh, long trip on a motorcycle, and he's deciding to go through Mexico. Which I'm like, yeah, if you you know if you plan, that's awesome. He's taking a, I think a KLR 650, which is great. That's a great um, bike if you're just gonna pick one bike that like you're gonna jump on and do a long trip on. Go for it. Um, but he called me and asked and I said, pull apart the carb, like take time pulling out the carb yeah. and like looking at it. I've only had to pull a carb twice, once in Baja and once actually really recently um, where I had a pilot jet go back. But I guess that goes in my long kit, too, is bringing jets. I'll, I'll bring an extra pilot in Maine. Usually that's pretty close to what I'm running. I don't worry about jetting them up or down too much unless there's significant elevation. But yeah, pull the carb get used to that. Like, you know, have it out in your hands, know what pops out when you open it up. You know, if you have CV carbs, they can be a real pain to get the diaphragm in, like learn how to do that stuff. Um, and know your bike really well. If you're new to riding or haven't done a lot of trail side maintenance, go through everything, pull clutch cables, pull throttle cables, pull, you know, the wheels, check your wheel bearings, like just check everything, take apart as many things as you can and put them back together because it will be so, so much less frustrating when you have to do that on the side of the road if you've already done it in your own garage. That would be my biggest, like, if you're going to do anything, uh, even above like planning and things like that, I would say take it apart, know the key parts of it, especially the card, and have a good knowledge of it, you know, handling it. Yeah, and that is the answer I was fishing for. Uh, if I had to give personally one piece of advice to anybody before taking a longer trip, especially if it's your first trip, especially if it's a new bike to you, um, it would be know the bike, but specifically take your carb apart. I, I can't Definitely. stress enough uh, how much less stressed you will be when you have to take your carb apart on the road or on the <laughs> yeah. trail or somewhere if you've done it before and you're familiar with it. Um, there's, it's not rocket science nine times out of 10, but it can be very daunting. There's a lot of small parts. There's a spring. If you have a CV carb and a diaphragm, that can be a pain. Uh, I think Jordan can attest to seeing me pull, uh, my old DR, um, pulling the TM carb, the Makuni carb out of there on the side of the road, fixing it in like five minutes because I knew that it had this recurring problem that would happen. 
Uh, and I was so familiar with it and I'd fixed it so many times and I'd Frankenstein so many carbs together that it was so, um, great to just be able to like pull it out of the bike. It was no big deal. Pull it off, open it up, fix it. Uh, some, I know like, we were in the middle of Baja. Some guy pulls up and he goes, Hey, you guys all right. And I was just like, as I slap it back in the bike, I was like, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> it's um, fine. <laughs> yeah. It's no big deal. Um, but it's something that, that will, you know, there, there's a lot of, I think everyone can attest. There's a lot of, there's common problems to every bike. You'll kind of get the hang of it, but a lot of them, Jordan, to your point, um, like, bearings like wiring like even even cables yes bring spare clutch cables if you're and and throttle cables if you're going on a really long trip or brake cables but um generally speaking if you've sort of put in the maintenance ahead of the trip those things should last right the duration depending on how long you're riding yeah but little things like your carb is gonna get plugged up your jet's gonna get plugged at some point it will happen especially if you're doing a dual sport ride out on the dirt even in the city, you're going to get weird gas somewhere. Something's going to happen, and you're going to have to take it apart. So do it ahead of time. Figure it out. You'll be happy and glad you did when you need to do it on the trail. Also, a uh, big shout-out to swapping. Uh, it was just a caveat to the carb thing, which is if you can, swap the screws on the float bowl for Allen head screws. You'll thank <laughs> yeah. me later. Ooh. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Uh, because nothing's worse than trying to get at a stripped Phillips head bolt on the bottom of your float bowl because yeah. your carb is dumping gas in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> swap to Allen head screws and use an Allen key that you're already using on something else on your bike, and you will be very happy that you did if you ever need to. With that said, uh, I'm going to move into the next segment, which is talking about best trailside or roadside fix. So we're talking about what is your proudest moment MacGyvering <laughs> a fix on your bike uh, when it when it really mattered on the side of the road, on the side of a trail, street or dirt, uh, dealer's choice. Uh, Danny, I'll kick it off to you. I'm sure you've had many. Let's hear the best. <laughs> um, yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of the moped stuff, like if something breaks, like a lot of times there's not the best roadside fix. So like we, we've been riding around town and, and broken down and either mine or um, my fiance Rochelle's bike will, will break down because mopeds. Um, and usually we're then like a, a reasonable distance to home. So if it's something we can't fix with the our stuff in our pack, we'll, one of us will ride home, grab my truck, and we'll just load it up and take it back. But the best fix I would say was probably about three, two, three years ago. We were up in Apple Valley in the middle of the desert um, at Grange Motor Circuit, or I think it's called Apple Valley Speedway now. Um, there was a moped race event going on on the track up there. And it was, it was first day of the races, three days. My buddy pulls his Pook Free Spirit off his truck and like goes to start it up and immediately snaps his clutch lever. Oh, <laughs> and with mopeds, you have to pull the clutch lever to start the bike. Start so it's, it's like, crap do i have to drive like the hour into apple valley to like hopefully find a shop that has a bike lever that will work on this or ultimately ended up no and then we just used paracord and we had someone pull the paracord really (laughs) tight on the clutch lever while he kicked it over to get it started and you know it was a pain in the ass but it lasted the weekend and then he got home bought a new lever and the bike is good as new but Nice. It was uh, it was one of those things that's where you're really glad that you've got paracord with you, or you've got yeah. something that can pull that little lever on the on the engine case. 
So you just it has a centrifugal. Mm-hmm. Do they have centrifugal centrifugal clutches? clutches? Yeah. Okay, so if if so, you just need to pull that paracord right when you're starting it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you oh, pull, so pull it, get it tensioned, start it. Because there, there's the E50, which he has on his bike, is a single speed engine, so you get it. So going. Basically, just pulse. You're basically pull starting it at that point. In a way, yeah. Well, yeah. you're not okay. spinning the clutch. Like you're you're pedaling to start it. Like they don't. Have, oh, got it. Okay, you're just okay. or anything. But yeah, you're you're just holding basically creating that friction so you can spin it. It'll start, and then assuming you remember to put your choke on and get it warmed up enough before you turn your choke off, it will not die, and then you're good to pray go. Pray to the moped gods. Yeah, you pray <laughs> to the moped gods, and then you're good. Damn. Do people ever just? We have to do. I've got it in my notes that we're definitely going to do a moped episode because I just, I frankly, I'm not super knowledgeable about them, yeah. and I think the culture is really interesting. So there's definitely going to be a moped episode at some at some point, hopefully in the not too distant future. And but what I want to know is why don't because these engines that are on them are basically like big weed whacker motors. Yeah. So why do people put pull cords on them and just go for pull cords? You can. Yeah. A lot of them. A lot of them. That's do. tight. Um, there's people who just don't run that. And they'll. I've literally seen people at races like they'll have someone come up to their back tire like if they've or they've taken their pedals off so you can't pedal start it and they have someone come up to their back tire with a running bike and rev that bike's engine (laughs) to start the other bike and i just nice it's truly amazing but yeah people do put pull starts on them um to kind of just eliminate that lever but from what i've noticed or what i've seen when people do that, it takes them a hell of a lot longer to start their bike versus me just pulling the clutch lever and pedaling for yeah, a couple seconds. Okay. Right. But mm. it's possible. It's doable. You just have to buy uh, an extra kit for it. Hmm. Yeah. People swear All right. by it. I just, it's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, what about you? Best trail side or roadside fix? What do you um, got? I feel like my best trail side fix was successfully replacing a handle like uh, not a handle but uh, my brake lever on the trail um and it was the first time i did it um and jordan was like guiding me of course but i had like already he already gave me the lowdown before so i was trying to do it like off of like what i remembered um and i did it and it was great nice like cool yeah Yeah. it worked out and i'm like i need after that, I was like determined, like I need handguards because I hate doing this. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, I got handguards. But it yeah. was it was great because uh, I had art when I had dropped the bike initially. It was just a really stupid drop, um, and that was what was frustrating. It wasn't like a, a my bike fell down a steep hill and of course the lever broke. It was like I hit something like a stupid rock a stupid way and then just went <laughs> and i was just no. like god damn it like that's how it happens always how it happens always, so yeah yeah that was yeah. my favorite fix and i it was the only lever that we had and this was when we were on the road in the camper and so it was the one time i had to replace my brake lever and i'm like who knows when we're gonna be in a spot <laughs> where there would be another brake lever available somewhere? So it's just like, please God, don't break my mm, levers again. Don't. <laughs> yeah. But it worked out fine. It was fine. So. Nice. So brake lever on the trail. I like it. Jordan, yeah. what do you got? 
I don't know. I actually think the last we talked about in the last episode, but this last trip I had a um, I don't know if it's my best. It's just something I've always I've thought about since because it was a it was an important lesson. I've cleaned like carbs. I don't at least a few dozen times, like a couple dozen, a few dozen. I, I pulled apart quite a few carbs and, and you know, cleaned them out, inspected jets and things like that on the bench. I've done it a lot. And I'm pretty familiar with what to look for. Um, but I had a really hard starting condition with my WR on this, uh, last trip I did with, uh, Daniel, we went out to Missoula and back and it ended up on the way back that it just would not start. You know, it just was, they had, you know, it had spark. It had, I knew gas was flowing through it. Everything was working out, but it was just super hard starting condition, which I, you know, usually means it's a pilot that's clogged up. So I pulled the pilot jet and I kept looking at it. Like I kept holding it up to the sun. And, you know, you see the light come through the jet. So you're like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. And I was just like befuddled. You know, I was on the side of the road on Highway 12 and uh, just like, what the heck is going on? That's when I ended up, long story short, I ended up getting towed by Daniel uh, on his XR into Kuski. And in Kuski, someone offered to take us up to their shop. And he took me, uh, they he, or well, to his house. And he was like, you guys can stay here for the night and everything. And it was super nice, Nathan. He was a great guy. And gave us moonshine and it was just it was ridiculous but at, you know from pulling the carp he was like i told him he worked on motorcycles he had his own motorcycles and i remember just sitting there with the pilot jet in my hand like looking through it holding it up to the light and seeing showing it to him being like see it's fine and he's like no no no, you're looking the wrong, the wrong way and he turns it to the side and the little side holes mm-hmm. that are on a pilot jet if you look right. at, ever look at a pilot jet it's got the one hole that goes mm. through in the side holes and mm-hmm. it was though they were totally clogged up and it's i still to my to this day i think about like how they could have clogged the sides but not clogged the and maybe it's just because i have i've only ever gotten a clogged pilot on the road once before um and this bike was pretty fresh off a trip to well it had been used all summer and it came from a, a trip in baja that i did a few months before that and so it hadn't really gotten a carb clean since then so it was definitely way overdue um, but it's just something I think about, you know, I, it, you, sometimes you get frustrated on the side of the road like that. And I definitely was, I was super pissed off. I wouldn't start. And it just ended up being those sides of the jets, you know? So it's like an extra, if I would have just taken the extra time to kind of look at it and see, you know, it's, it's not my finest moment, really. It was, it was one of my, you know, one of those big learning moments for me, but it was, right. it was so bizarre to see that the sides had plugged. Um, but it's, it's one of those more memorable trail side fixes for me because it reminded me to kind of you know, even if you look at something objectively like that, you're like, you know, you're like, okay, I know you have this objective diagram in your mind that the gas is supposed to flow through the center of it. You really have to think about how it's all interconnected in the system. And if I would have taken that extra step, I would have turned it to the side and saw that it was just completely, you know, totally clogged out. And that's what was causing the extremely hard starting conditions. So that was just one of those. It's one of the ones I thought of because it was recent and, you know, even though I had all these expectations of what it might be, it, it, uh, I mean, I was right. It was a pilot jet, but I just didn't look at it closely. So I like those little learning moments. Definitely something you put in your pocket and then you remember right. later well, it's on kinda, down the road. Yeah. And that's similar to Chris, what you were saying about the brake lever, where it's something that, um, you know, once you do it, you kind of have that, you know, in your mm-hmm. toolkit, you have that experience under your belt and down the line, anytime you're in a, in a similar scenario, you'll be, you, you, it takes the stress out of it. Cause I feel like a lot of it is that stress of in the moment, like, Oh, how am I going to get home? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And a lot of it I think is slowing down and yeah, taking a deep breath and actually looking at the, the situation. Um, 
mine, uh, this is a silly, I guess, story time. Um, I went on, we went on a trip to the coast and I'd gotten uh, one of those, a fancy air screw, air mix screw with the little like knurled thing. So you can yep. adjust the, the air fuel mix screw on your carb sort of on the fly. The like quick adjust and, ones. Yeah. yeah. Like a quick adjust exactly from, from ProCycle. Shout out ProCycle. Um, <laughs> lo and behold, it did not stay in the carb. Uh, it's <laughs> proceeded to fall out. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know, some amount of hundreds of miles back from where we had left from in, in, in Western Oregon. And I was just riding and riding and all of a sudden something didn't seem quite right. My bike was running really lean and I looked down and sure enough, the, the fuel mix screw had backed itself out and my header was glowing and things bad things were happening down <laughs> down there. <laughs> I mean, it literally, it's not an exaggeration. My header was, was glowing hot uh, mm. at night. You could probably wow. see me from from 200 yards away and um we pulled over i think we got to where we were going and i was looking at it and and basically what had happened is on um at least on this carb on the makuni tm33 uh the fuel mix screw is on the bottom and it's held in place by a little pressure spring that puts pressure on the threads holds it in there and then there's like a little rubber o-ring and a washer and uh, I think with the the fancy fuel mix screw was not engaging the spring with enough tension to hold it in and so it had rattled out and fortunately, I'd brought the original uh, OEM fuel mix screw, but I didn't have a spring. I didn't have the O-ring. I didn't have the retainer. And so it's sort of like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Like, we're like a couple hundred miles from getting back. And we had this, like, whole weekend that we were supposed to be riding. Um, and my MacGyver moment, of which I am very proud, was uh, <laughs> kind of the same thing. I was sitting and going, like, what do I need? I need a spring. So I took the the spring from a little clicking ballpoint pen. Yeah, uh, and sh- and put it in there and kind of rigged the whole thing. I think I found a suitable tiny washer. I don't remember where, like in a parking lot at the hotel we were in. God knows from what. <laughs> I was gonna say, as I remember this story, we were outside of. Um, well, we'd gone way past Coos Bay at that point. I yeah. want to say we were close to close to Gold Beach or something. Yeah, like that, that sounds right. I recall that you went across that we were we knew there was a hot tub at the uh, <laughs> hotel and I was like, I'm gonna go get some swim trunks. It was like February is so cold. I think you found something like on, I thought you had found the washer like on something out there and you're like, Oh, I could use this. It's type of deal very possible. It's fuzzy to me now where the washer came from. It I was, just good know it was suitable. I had, I found a spring from a pen. I found a washer from, I don't remember what, but it was like, just the right size to hold things in place. And sure enough, I probably put some Loctite and just kind of like put it together, pulled the spring apart. Uh, and you know, it worked, lasted the rest of the weekend mm-hmm. and the bike ripped. And uh, I only had to replace a base gasket when I got back <laughs> from overeating the bike for like 20 minutes. Pretty cooked. <laughs> and you know, all, all said and done, I mean, I probably needed to do the top end anyway. So it was a good right. learning experience. And then I got right. to... And then I got to take the carb apart anyways, yep. which was good experience for later. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the best thing you can bring is patience and, ex- and, uh, and practice. Yeah. Well, and, and, and some and office that, supplies. And supplies. Yeah, bring a spare. So uh, to that point, I, when we went, I, when, anytime I go on a longer trip, uh, I'll bring a, um, one of the things I'll bring is always a float valve needle. Yep. It's tiny. It doesn't take up much room and it'll save you from going crazy. Um, an air mix a replacement air mix screw and spring and washer and o-ring it's a little kit you get in a re- carb rebuild kit really mm-hmm. i think the takeaway is just like i can't stress this enough carbs carbs will drive yeah. you crazy 
most other things you can fix, but carbs have so many specific parts. And if you're out in the middle of nowhere, you're going to be really happy that you brought just a little carb rebuild kit or something like that with you. And, uh, yeah. Go. And I, I mean, on, on top of that, I'll nail that same point home. I took the SV650. That was the bike I took on my um, the long, long trip through Mexico. And it was fuel injected, so I didn't have to deal with carb stuff, and nothing else went wrong on the entire trip. No <laughs> other issues. I put, I put shit gas in it. I put yeah. like, I think I cleaned the air filter t- maybe once or twice on the trip. I lubed the chain maybe a couple times on the trip. Um, you know, like nothing else went wrong. So definitely, if you have a carbed bike, it's very likely that on a longer trip, the first thing that's going to go wrong is the carb. I would say yep. it's a very high probability. So I cannot back that up enough. Um, Jets, Jets RS and a lot of those websites sell little rebuild kits and you can just stash one of those away. Remember that when we went to Baja that second time, I bought that, um, you had like a little tin to keep your rebuild kit in. And I was like super jealous. I was like, dang, I gotta get me one of those. And I bought a gift certificate, a, a paint bucket gift certificate box from Lowe's. And to this day, I still have it. It's like a little metal tin, like the size of like a short or like a short little paint bucket. And it's really narrow. It fits a jet kit absolutely perfectly. Nice. Nice thing to have for sure. I also, uh, yeah. And I I think to that point too, it's also having the experience, like trying it when you're not in in a situation where you need to do whatever your maintenance thing is doing it at home so you can figure out what tools you you do need and so you're comfortable with all the tools because to that point it's one thing to have the parts but if you don't know how to install them or you don't have the right tool to do the thing you need to do um you know i had this little in in my carb rebuild kit i had this screwdriver from like an uh, an eyeglass repair kit right one of the ones you get at like cvs but it was this adorable it was like a little miniature flathead screwdriver (laughs) that was like an inch long but it was the perfect size for this one thing on the carb for the air mix screw. It was like the only thing that could actually fit and adjust it. And it was just the perfect size, but I wouldn't have, no, I may have thought that, oh, it's a flathead screw. I'll be able to fix it with just a regular mm-hmm. flathead screwdriver. Um, and I would never have been able to reach it. It would have been one mm-hmm. of those things that just drives you crazy yeah. on the road and stresses I, you out. I keep one of those in my in my bag too, I realized. Um, and it's to get the either the idle jet or the pilot jet out of mm-hmm. the carbs. Cause they're, usually kind of inset a little bit to the point where like a normal flathead, you're not going to be able to fit it in there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those little eyeglass ones work perfect. Yep. Yeah. We'll have to talk maybe next week or something about more about building those toolkits and things like that. But I I'm getting ready to break down and buy an actual JS um, flathead, like the actual pilot screw. Mm-hmm. I've been tempted for a long time to buy like a legit one after Robert Duffy got me those light tool. Uh, I got actual Japanese wrenches and I was like, they're all metric. It's all the same. I swear to God, they fit so much better on like bolts and things like that. Yeah. Like everything is perfectly spaced. Like you can tell the engineers had the wrench and they're like, how much room do they need to get this head bolt off? Let me see. And then they put this like specific light tool, specifically sized metric wrench. And they're like, that's exactly how much room they're going to get. And so if you go at it with like a regular craftsman wrench, you're like, how the fuck do you get this off? And then once you have the actual Japanese like designed wrench on the Japanese bike, you're like, oh, oh, I see. It's supposed to be like smaller and then you can fit it in there. It's they, those things are godsend. God, if yeah. you are listening right now, buy some of those <laughs> a Japanese, light tool. Yes. Uh, and I think like a lot of things, it's trial and error because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff you won't you won't figure out until you're sort of in a pinch. And I think there are some good budget options. 
Um, for me, one that comes to mind, I, I think it was mentioned earlier, but, um, you know, the, the, the little roll up replacement, like the little toolkits that come on a bike, right. The, the parts in there can be kind of hit and miss. Sometimes you have like a stamped steel, um, spark plug yeah. remover that'll <laughs> yeah, like right. the first time you use it, it's going to warp out of true. <laughs> yeah. You'll never be able to use it. Right. Dang it. <laughs> but like for me, one of my favorite travel wrenches, and even though I'll bring, uh, a set kind of like everybody else. I'll have like an eight, a 10, a 12, a 14, uh, maybe an open-ended or like a little ratcheting open-ended wrench. Um, I'll always bring, I have this Honda. It's, I think it's from the toolkit from my CL 350. It's the Honda toolkit stamped, just like cheap toolkit wrench. It's a 12 on one side, a 10 on the other, yeah, but it's short. It's maybe like three, four inches long. Mm-hmm. It's just yep. open-ended on both sides. And it's it's one of those things where it's like, it was the gem for me in that toolkit that I've used a thousand times. It fits in where other wrenches won't fit. Something about it. It's like it's got the little Honda logo on the side. I think it, I think sometimes you just having a tool, not only the right tool for the job, but one that you're comfortable using and familiar with can take some of that stress out of doing the job when you're out on the trail. Totally. Um, totally. You feel more like at home and you feel a little less like, ah. Definitely. With that said, um, I think it's time to transition into our clapped out pick of the week. Mm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Everyone's favorite part of the show. Um, next week we will, I think spend a, a lot more time talking about tools specifically building up those toolkits at home. But I think this is a good sort of intro for, for trail riding, for toolkits, for, for riding on the street, what you can bring with you, some things to think about. Um, people listening along, feel free to ask questions. Uh, if you want some advice on specific things, but with that said, let's get into it. Who wants to go first? I'll leave it to the floor. I'll go. I have to up. say, I've yeah, exactly. Who's got those pulled up? I have to say, I um, wanted so bad. I was very tempted. I pulled up a like super horribly clapped out um, snowmobile. I there is just so <laughs> much snow <laughs> on the ground. I was like so tempted, and I was like, you know what? No, it's not. It's not a clapped out bike. Sometimes you just got to gotta say, send it. I did the in same. In my heart. I had the same thought parts. about a go-kart that I saw. <laughs> <laughs> we all wanted to cheat on bikes. I, I I, still, it's like 200 bucks. It's in Montana, which isn't super far. Uh, but no, I, I went again with my theme of just bikes that I want. You know, they're not actually this one. It's a little clapped out. I think it's tastefully clapped out. Um, but this is one of those bikes that I definitely want i'm just getting this pulled up here i love the title too it's titled as a 1965 (laughs) (laughs) it's titled as a a 1965 juicy bike retro it is indeed a hodaka ace 90 oh nice um every day i always am searching i know that's the thing I am always searching for a Hodaka. Hodakas are one of the very few bikes that were manufactured, quote unquote, manufactured here in the United States. They, I mean, they they brought in Japanese parts um, into a town actually here in Oregon, uh, Athena, Oregon. And they were manufactured here. Like the parts were brought in, the bikes were assembled here. Everything was built here and tuned here and then sent out. And they were really, really popular out here in Eastern Oregon where I live. Um, as well as most of the, the Western United States for a short time. And they made them from, I don't know the exact years, but the early 60s 
to I think the mid 70s was kind of the run of the Hodakas. Mm -hmm. I could have that wrong. And there's still a vintage days that meets every uh, year in Athena, Oregon, way up there. It's, it's not too far from where we live. And they meet and everyone brings out their Hodakas. I want to go this year and take my DT-175. Hodaka days. Hodaka days. Because it's I, it's not quite a Hodaka. But anyways, I've always wanted a Hodaka. We, that's another one of those. That's like, we could have an entire, I think, one hour episode just talking about Hodaka. I think if ever there was a... Uh, I think we should go to Hodaka. Days I agree. I also think we should do. Yeah, well, let's do it. Let's make a plan. I think if I think if any brand represents the clapped out ethos, it is the Hodaka motorcycle and Pavatco, the Pacific Basin Trading Company. Yes, yeah, uh, they were the ones, and they mostly did like farm equipment, I think. And uh, the town is still there where they had it. It's a it's a small town out here in East Oregon. But anyways, Hodakas were brought in. I have wanted one for ages. They have the coolest names like Dirt Squirt. Ace, Combat Wombat, yeah, like the they super just, rat, the, road <laughs> the super rat, Road Toad. They're just so cool, but they're becoming really, really rare. Yeah. Um, so this one was actually kind of surprising. It's a thousand bucks. It's like I say, tastefully clapped out. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's got, I think the original seat and, or it could have been an upholstered seat that they just put the logo on there. Not, it looks like it's stitched in, um, but the tank's got some patina on it, but I think it looks pretty good. And I, I think that this size Hodaka is the one I want, like 100. You know, I already got a 175, so something small just to kind of zip around uh, oh, would be so cool to have. Yeah, I this think one's that a 90. If, I'm scroll, if you scroll up a little, I think that also might have an aftermarket head on it. Hmm, yeah. Things, yeah. Yeah. I saw that, and I wasn't entirely sure. It, you know, it very well could be. It looks... I don't know. It's I, I'd have to do more research. I know I've talked to people here where I live in the Grand, and I know that there's some people that have them here in town that yeah. are kind of rotting in garages. I know their general location, and I <laughs> am trying. Somewhere trying, out there is the Hodaka for you. <laughs> and I'm trying desperately to meet these people so that I can um, get one. If you're listening and you have a Hodaka in your garage, please hit me up. It is the one bike I have wanted for quite a while. I would love and, to go to. And then we will jump it over a fire. And yes. The yeah, exactly. We could have a clapped out Hodaka. So that's why I chose. I love the title. Juicy bike. retro. <laughs> I also like how if you if you go to the first picture, the whole bike is it's in good shape and it is appropriately patinaed for its age. I think so. Um, if you go, maybe it's the, the one that's the top down where you see the tank. Yeah, the tank. Looks... It does have a brand new gas cap. Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, that's yeah, nice. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Embroidery on the, the seat, too. I know. Look at the Hodaka uh, embroidered on the seat. Yeah. That thing is sweet. Very nice. And he's awesome got it, like, bucks. set up for Vintagers. I know. Yeah, I am that's awesome. so tempted to hit him up and be like, what kind of trades are you looking for to try to cheese off one of my other bikes to him? You want an where's, MX one? Where's that stimmy money? Yeah, if Uncle Joe comes through and gets me my stimmy, <laughs> I don't Hodaka know. bucks. Hodaka bucks. Anyways, like that's it. My All right, point. so the 1965 Juicy Bike Retro Hodaka <laughs> Ace 90. A solid right. contender. Chris, what do you got? I've got... I picked this solely because of the picture. The picture is absolute garbage. <laughs> <laughs> True to the clapped out Like, whoever, whoever this person is, you need to learn how to take photos of your bikes because... I'm going to drag your ass on this podcast. Damn, the shade <laughs> being thrown right now. It's it's really funny. And it also, yeah. I don't know. Small just... town hostility here. Oh, this is, it's also Prescott, Washington that this bike is coming out yeah, of. So I don't, then, yeah, I don't feel, I don't feel bad. bad. I don't feel bad at all. Okay. It says it's sharing. 
So <laughs> here, I like it. And this is the this is the picture. Yeah. Like this that's is what, what you, you, what you this get. is what you get. 1977 Yamaha TT, and then the rest is just a picture of. <laughs> Are the boots included? I like it. Yeah. Do you get the Do you get the man in the boots? Is what I, I want to know. I don't think so. Maybe the pants, pants. Is that boots T included? Really, he goes by TT. I you guess so. Him. He says, "Really solid project. This was a phenomenal bike in its day. Yamaha has recently made a tribute bike, and values are going up." That is actually, yeah. Where Where is that? It's in Washington. Yeah, Prescott. That's actually a really good deal on a TT if it's a yeah. TT five hundred. It's for it, yeah. It's like looks like it. I will. Is it a I mean, you can't yeah, really like tell it. because or maybe it. I don't could know. be a TT two fifty. Not much info given. <laughs> Not much info the, given. The the TT is is like the dirt version of the X. Well, the the more competition oriented version of the XT mm-hmm. uh, from Yamaha. So like the XT two fifty and the yeah, XT. Yeah, but you can't really see the rest of the bike. All you get is like the <laughs> bunch of wires that look like they fell off the bike. Yeah. Um, the t- flat rear tire. The seat that's not if that, covered. This the seat that's maybe it has like, like leather it. Yeah, on it's just the top foam. of it. Yeah, you just you just can't foam. see. So I'm just like you just does toss it. Does it come bike. with the license plate? Because that is also a make or break. <laughs> you know, I want to know because it if it's plated, then four hundred dollars is a that's steal. what I'm saying. Four hundred bucks for a bike, a plate, and some boots. That's a but solid do we deal. know if it has handlebars? No. Maybe that scrap. Maybe the scrap. <laughs> we don't know. I'm almost I'm almost positive because I have a similar gen uh, XT engine, which is the same mill. I'm almost certain that's a 250 because a I, 250. if if I think right, if I'm remembering right, I think that. Uh, yeah, it's they're usually shorter. I think they just the 500s yeah. have a longer rod. I think they're the same bore mm, or very similar. Interesting. It's just a it's shorter just, stroke on it. I think so. I think if I remember right, because they're like a really tall looking engine. If you look yeah. at a picture of a TT500. Yeah, but yeah. you can't see anything like literally they only get like half the gas tank on this thing. And I like it. the rest is like, who knows? <laughs> like, motivated <laughs> seller. They're it's like a grab bag out. of surprises. I like it. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah it is exciting. exciting. All right. So option number two, the 1977 Yamaha TT comes possibly with boots. We don't know. Maybe who a knows? man's legs. <laughs> Danny, what do you got? All right, let's pull this up. I, not gonna lie, I had some trouble this week. the The marketplaces were were barren on uh, clapped out. I've noticed like there was some pristine bikes, and that was that's great. But you know, everybody's everybody's banking on uh, tax tax so I, I went Good pick. Oh. this uh, nine hundred bucks sixty six CL one sixty scrambler. <laughs> Don't run you in years. No tittle. Don't run. No tittle. Yeah. No, no tittle. tittle. No tittle. No tittle. But I look. Mean, honestly, I think. I think while. It looks I think you should complete your 1966 Honda Project. Stable. I know. I'm. I'm just. A, I'm a sucker for 60s Hondas. It's got honestly that exhaust is. Oh, it's yeah. great. Get it for the. Yeah, get it no, for the it's, exhaust. It's it is shape. sweet, and it looks like it's. Uh, if, yeah. if that Yo, can be trusted, you don't 6, even have to miles. look for the bougie parts that go with it. Like this thing yeah, looks it's complete as hell. So it's it's missing, missing a couple badges. The the seat can stand to be redone, but it is a it is a sweet bike. So like Jordan has done in past weeks, I I kind of chose one that just I would like to own yeah. at some point. Yeah. That's a pretty bike. Yeah. That's that's a, and that's a 160, I believe. Yeah. It's like a 160, 160 scrambler. 160 yeah, so scrambler. it's, you know, 
each of those pistons is about the size of the bike you're working on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So you're all good. Yep. Super close. Yeah. So yeah, that's, cool. that's, that's my All right, pretty week. good. Pretty good. Everyone's finding good deals. Yeah. All right. Well, I will show you what and I have this I, week. I would bet on mine, though, it, that you could get it for less than 900 It's apparently been up for 12 weeks, and, you Whoa. know, that's just... Oh, heck yeah. That screams 500 bucks. Heck yeah, it does. I will, I will say both... Uh, Chris's may be a little more dubious, but I think mm-hmm. both of your bikes, uh, it is just a, like sort of a tangent or an aside, I think both would make a very excellent candidate for like a first mistake project yes. for somebody's first oh, yes. first yes. bike that they then regret and then eventually get running. Because yes. um, those are both cool bikes. And I think both, both hmm, what can we say, robust enough that you could probably get them running with some work and all the parts are out there. Yes. Yeah. With that said, I will show you my pick, which is... The 1978 Suzuki, yes. <laughs> huh? Are they Suzuki's? Survey says. Oh, oh. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so Say $700 yes. gets you uh, three 1976 to 1979 rolling GS750 chassis. Nice. Now, there's no engines. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh god on any of them misalignment but you do get but you do get this pile of rusty exhausts ooh fun here okay. which is fun um who isn't looking for a GS750 exhaust uh and sort of a mishmash of cowls yeah yeah exactly cowls you get you know one and a half i think seats. between between <laughs> these three projects you could come up with one rolling project that would still need an entire <laughs> still need an engine. Yeah. <laughs> it does crap. say other misalliances parts to go with them. So maybe it does, maybe come, there is it does more. come with other appliances. <laughs> uh, the question is does it come with this cinder block back here <laughs> and this backdrop or, or which the are nice. rim that the cinder I like block it. is sitting on. I I like that between these three bikes, you sort of get your pick of the GS 750s. You can do you want an alloy wheel? You got it. If you want spokes, you got it. Oh. And Single you know disc, it's, dual disc. You get uh, you get your different choice levels of, of rust for each. That's what of I'm those saying. Rims. Exactly. It just progresses as the line goes down. You can pick <laughs> pick your your own tank. Pick your saddle. Pick your exhaust. You Choose could really you could open a GS 750 shop just from this. With your seven hundred dollars, <laughs> but good luck so, finding an engine. You know, is it a Suzuki? The answer is yes, and that is my pick. Solid pick. We'll clock <laughs> out. Pick of the week. Wow. Well, Mark- that I believe wraps up this week's episode. Next week, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about tools. So please, please send your questions. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us maybe other places. I don't know. Jordan could tell you more about that. Yep, we're uh, now on all the major podcast platforms. We're on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a lot more. And yeah, if you do have those listener questions or comments, uh, even comments, tell us about that sleeper tool. I know we're going to talk a little bit about those tools that come in and and they're just such a good deal, you know, maybe getting in one place or another, or they've been a really solid thing. Anything, questions, comments, let us know. You can email us at clappedmoto at gmail.com or hit us up on the Instagram, which is at clapped, clapped it at clapped out pod don't send it to at uh <laughs> <laughs> clapped out pod let's do this part over uh, <laughs> at clapped out pod you know yeah we're there you'll know it when you see it send That's us stories i want stories tell us yes. your juicy yeah. stories yes too. tell us your stories um also if you have a spare 
two hours on a Sunday, just hop on, be a guest. We'll take yeah. it. And if you're building a tractor and or a VW bug with a 150cc engine, uh, motorbike engine, like our friend Joao down in Portugal, or excuse me, in Brazil, uh, <laughs> send us that too, because I love seeing that shit. Thank you. Shout out again to Joao <laughs> for sending us chance. a VW. <laughs> He had a VW that he sent us this week that was running on a 150cc uh, motorcycle engine. That's amazing. 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 We wow. love that stuff. So yeah, again, the email is clappedmoto at gmail.com. The pod is at clappedoutpod. There you go. And, uh, uh, if, yeah. you, if you like what you're here and you want to support our goal of jumping a coleman mini bike with a harbor freight predator engine in it yep. um you can or a hodaka 90 or a hodaka 90 you can buy us a coffee and uh contribute to that fund at <laughs> buymeacoffee.com slash clapped out moto yeah yeah thanks there y'all. you go all right yep. thank you thank you again to everyone who's been listening along this is episode four we're digging it so far we'll be back at you with more clapped out tips next week thank you all for joining us uh and see you later See ya. Bye. And we're out. Check, check. Yeah, we're, we're good. good. Cool. We've arrived. Just checking my. We're here. Levels. Checking look my good. wave. Everyone's line. levels look good. Everyone's waveforms. Good. 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 good.